Blessed to know the best. Oh my God, it's the pretty left hook. I'm your guy, Rhett Pretty Butler. Don't hate the pretties with an eye, because it means gritty, and we talking boxing, MMA, and everything pugilistic. Welcome to the Pretty Left Hook. I'm your man, Brett Pretty Butler, with all the fight knowledge you could ever want and more. I'm polarizing. I talk trash, and I get in that ass. You ready? Because I am. Let's go. Blessed to know the best at all times. Oh, my God. It's your guy, Rhett Butler, hitting you with that pretty left hook. Hitting you in your goddamn liver. Yo, I got my man today, y'all. You got to understand, this is a very, very deep and, and, and honored pleasure to have my guy. I've known this man for many, many years. We became men together in many ways during the HBCU system of Howard University. Respect this guy a lot. He been through heck of shit. Shout out to the Bay. And, man, now he can whoop your ass. And I fucking love it. Tashawn going Billy Shock is in the house, y'all. My man, what's going on, Red? Educator man. extraordinaire. Man. Straight out of the bean. Yo, I love your show, bro. I love it, man. I love <laughs> it. Thank you, man. The um Dean Thomas, the Kamaru uh Usman, oh, Dorian yeah. Price, MVP, all of them shows right. were, were amazing. We was talking about the Fufu with Kamaru, man. I know you was feeling that. Yeah, definitely. We definitely. had to put them on game, you know what I mean? Peanut butter yeah. stew, y'all. Um, dude, there's so much to talk about today, man. Definitely. Like, with like normally I get these guys, they fight for money. Awesome, right? Prize fighters. But at the end of the day, to have an educator of your caliber and a person that's really dedicated his life towards empowerment, starting from the maturation of the youth, always inspires me because I know who you are. You know what I mean? From a, for a long time, we both went to Howard University. Shout out to the HU Bison out here. And I wanted to bring this to the masses mm -hmm. because the, not only did you start out wrestling from some traumatic circumstances in terms of your rearing in Boston, mm -hmm. but... Beyond that, you've now have a wealth of knowledge for traveling to the motherland, mm -hmm. learning about um, traditional African warrior and combat styles, mm -hmm. and now you teach that to others and give them that foundational base so that mm -hmm. they understand where they come from and where all this matured from. But I want to start from the beginning. Mm -hmm. Talk to me about growing up in Boston as a black man, Cape Verdean. Shout out to Boo Boo Andrade's ass. Yeah, What's good? Man. And shout out to Amma Cole Cabral. Man. That's who we rap. But yo, Talk Boston man. Boston it was it was rough coming up there, man. You're getting a lot yes. of lot of fact you're getting a lot of fights, man. So right. um but you know, similar to I'm sure what you experienced in the Bronx and yeah, Harlem. Absolutely. absolutely. And um it you know, I, I, my first fight was around kindergarten, mm -hmm. man. You know, so I've been fighting for a while. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and he translated that street fighting. And let's be clear, it was a lot of racial animus behind absolutely. the fights. I don't want Cass to think he was just in the hood. And things was going on. It was more or less like racial confrontations, correct? Absolutely, absolutely. Whether I was in the city or when I ended up going to private school, it mm. still ended up being I was the only black student in my class. Wow. So I Boston has that reputation. It does. That's it why it's crazy to hear that. You know, you actually went through that. It's earned it. It's earned it. It's earned it. My mother um yeah. actually became a teacher. She's from South Bronx. She became right. a teacher there in 1974 during the Boston busing crisis. Wow. And you know that 1954 with Brown versus the Board of Education, most schools were supposed to be integrated, but Boston didn't mm. accept that until 1974. Damn. So. You know. Fact only, um, at some point you went to like a boarding school, private yes, school, yes. and again, the same kind of confluence of craziness in relation to racial animus, but you found solace in the wrestling uh, mat in the gym. You know, talk about that, number one, because in our community, as we know, it's football, basketball first. Wrestling might be a distant fifth or sixth in some levels, yeah. but talk about how you matured into that, that component of your life. 
Well, wrestling became a necessity because um, I had tried out other martial arts. They weren't working as quite as well as I wanted to. Um, but uh, wrestling, when I took it up, the wrestling coach basically was straightforward with me. He saw me getting a lot of fights in the, during the school day and was like, yo, you need to get in here and learn how to actually defend yourself. I see you get beat up six times a week. It might be in eight, nine fights. Mm. And I started with wrestling, and um, I got beat up, man, for the three years of wrestling. <laughs> right, you right. get mashed the first right. three years. But, man, after a little while, man, my 10th grade year, I think I turned it on, man. And my second 10th grade year, because I do 10th grade twice, it got yeah. even more ferocious. I was captain of the team by my senior year. Nice. And we wrestled all the time. Wrestled in Iowa with um, mm-hmm. Dan Gable. Crazy. And um, I got to meet Joe Williams. That was right. awesome. At that point in time, once you realized that you were good at this, were you pursuing scholarships? Like, how did that component occur? And then, obviously, you went to Howard University with me. But just talk about, like, the collegiate level. Once you knew you were getting out of school – what was happening during that time? Were you seeking scholarships? Were you getting recruited? Like, what was that process? Um, I had done really well in school. I was president of class. I was captain of three sports. So um, I got a presidential scholarship to a, a um, couple schools. But Howard was the one I wanted to go to. Right. They have a great wrestling program at the time. Um, but I came from a Division all, one. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So I came from a all – it was an all-boys private school. Right. Then going to Howard, man, you know how it is. Yeah, it yeah, was like yeah. all girls. Man. It was all girls. We went to all girls school. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Practicing early in the morning wasn't, wasn't really working out for me, man. Right. But um, then, of course, man, um, you know, I had a serious altercation at Howard. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, speaking of which, man, <laughs> I'm about to put you on to how good a dude Red is, man. Red is one of the greatest brothers I ever met in my life. I know this show's not supposed to be about this man yeah, here. good, man. But um, when I got in a huge fight with the football team at Howard, man, it was like, dang, man, most people avoided me. Nobody wanted to yeah. be around me because they're like, scary. That, that kid fights. <laughs> but, yo, from back then, Red was already the dude who, like, was watching fights and into yeah, the fight game, that's, that's man. That's that's so he was, like, one of my few friends that was, like, hanging tough with me when I was, you know, dealing back and forth with these different football players. So I give thank you to you for that, man. The other thing, on, too, man, man I got to tell everybody is um, <laughs> the first time me and Rhett was ever at the Metro, yo, <laughs> some cash tried to rob us, yo. Yeah, yeah, and shout out to the engineer, Brian. He from PG County. He notices all facts. They used to hate New Yorkers. He's from the Bean. I'm from New York. That was double problems for them. Yeah, man. And they definitely tried to take my Tims. Yeah. Okay. I just got him from Pentagon City too. You wasn't getting nothing. Yeah. And I had on a little, uh, little chain or something. The dude was like, chain. I, I, he said, I like that. Um, can I have it? I like what? I, I looked <laughs> over at you. We had yeah. another man with us. Yeah. They didn't he, realize we was clicked up. Yeah. Right. Right. right, right. Yo, he left with nothing. Nothing. Yeah. So, but yeah, that was good, man. But y'all have Appreciate this gift it. for you, boss. Oh man. You the man. And oh, wow. you know, I, I don't even want it. That's the two fighting times. But probably the most important time in my life that Red had my back was um when I got married, man. I'll never forget that. That's my guy. Biggest decision of my life. And um, Rhett was, um, he was in there. Yeah, I was doing push-ups, push-ups. Yeah, 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 man. He was teaching me how to breathe so I didn't pass out when it was right. time to get up there. Shout out to Harlem. He got married in Harlem. He's smart. Yeah, man. <laughs> Speaking of Harlem, check out this, this these gifts I got you. There's two shirts. This one right here is the Harlem Hellfighters. Oh, wow, that's crazy. Um, I know you represent the Bronx and, the, and the Harlem, but, yo, there's sure. two cats in that war that I like a lot. Uh, Henry Johnson, Needham Roberts, World mm. War I. Um, they used the bolo knife that they got from the Philippines, but they fought and killed 36 Germans with, with just a knife. Damn. Yeah, just a knife. Just a knife. And, you know, America Sheesh. didn't get the recognition to them. You know, they got awards posthumously. But, I mean, these dudes are warriors. And we know we mm. come from a great warrior tradition. We know our true history. Facts. You know? I want to jump ahead a bit um, to our true history. Mm-hmm. You know, you really, one thing that you do, and we're going to get to the youth activism stuff you do later, but one thing you do amazingly is effortlessly educate cats just by virtue of the fact that you're a scholar and you research mm-hmm. and you're educated by trade. 
talk to me a little bit about, you know, obviously you're a fan of fighting sports. Mm-hmm. You were a former wrestler at Honan, and you currently now train and Western boxing, jiu-jitsu, and all of that. Mm-hmm. But what have you learned in relation to the origination of a lot of combat sporting styles, martial arts, and et cetera, that comes from Africa and the continent? Yeah, like, it's almost people are scared to hear that um, because they think that Africa didn't give anything to the world. And mm. that comes from miseducation. It also comes from colonization. Yeah. But um, I've traveled to Africa nine times. Um, I went to Egypt twice. I went with scholars like Asa Hilliard, Theophilo Benga, um, Dr. Yosef Benyakinen, and I went into a temple, and it's the governor Menemet's tomb in the province of Mahes, which is now called Beni Hassan. Mm. And in that tomb, there's 500 illustrations of hand-to-hand combat. Wow! And that dates back 2,800 BCE. Damn. So I, they haven't found any place older than that that has these illustrations. And right. these, I mean, they're wrestling combat. I mean, it's awesome. And even today, the Nuba wrestlers, you got people from Japan who practice judo come fly over to go against the Nuba wrestlers. What? And there's, there's a whole bunch of, I call them African combat scientists that are all over sure. Africa that people are not, you know, not acknowledging. Right. Yeah, and it's, it's crazy you say that because I know, like, a lot of the best boxers come from Ghana. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Like Joshua Clotty, a couple mm-hmm. cats. And then, if I'm not mistaken, it's the Senegalese wrestling. Yeah, long. Yeah, yeah, yeah. All yeah, that. So, I, you know, I, I peeped these things. I probably first got into it based on the fact that, like, in MMA, there's now a big push um, for, for MMA in Africa. Yeah. Where you have cats like my man, Dewan Derisov Owens, who's a professional MMA fighter from North Carolina, that goes to Ghana pretty much bi-monthly mm-hmm. to teach different um, communities how to get down yeah. with jiu-jitsu and MMA and all of that. And then you have others in general, that are now making that push. And you have a lot of promoters that are realizing, yo, nobody's cracked this continent yeah. for pay-per-view p- purposes and all yeah. of that. But clearly from Rumble in the Jungle and other things, mm-hmm. we know that success can be there. Yeah. Obviously, Mobutu was a big part of that, and he was yeah. a crazy dictator. But at the yeah. end of the day, the people are there, and the exposure level um, needs to be heightened. But I wanna, I'm want to. i only saying that in relation to the fact that what you're saying talks about the fact that it's more or less a repatriation back to where it started. Yeah, and and I think people don't understand that we had a great warrior tradition in Africa. We had different ethnic groups that were specific to war. And underneath these war traditions, you also get combat training and fighting. And then underneath that, you get sports to train the young people to become better at the war and and combat. So a lot of times, we we, like I'm all for supporting brothers going back, teaching MMA there. I don't want us to forget, though, that one of the reasons that area has such good boxing in Ghana is because they have a history of fist fighting that goes back before colonization. And Mm. when the Europeans come over, they outlawed much of this fighting wow. because they didn't want them using right. it in combat. Of course. So, I mean, there's numerous different uh, styles that I've been able to see. I took my students to Senegal, right. and they got to get on the beaches. That's amazing. Yeah, man. And did, they, dudes, did they see guys wrestling and yeah, doing stuff? Yeah, man. And they even worked some moves with I them. Seen, I've seen the videos of that on YouTube, man. Yeah. Like, these cats are in the sand getting it in. Yeah. And anybody who knows about doing cardio or anything like that on the sand, yeah. that's a double workout. Yeah, and they're super Facts. swole, man. They're doing squats with each other on each other's shoulders. Wow. I mean... You've seen all this. Yeah, and even when it that's starts off um, from babies... If you look at the way Senegalese people stretch out their baby and everything, right, right. it's clearly like they call them baby massages probably over here. Mm. Over here, excuse me, you might think they're too rough, but man, this is like getting the blood flowing in the body and preparing wow. them to be able to deal with. So the culture know, is really activity. preparing them for combat. Yeah, man. And being a warrior. Yeah, absolutely. Can you talk about that mentality? Because I think that's probably where it starts for a lot of folks. Um, you know, there's been like for more or less a watering down in relation to like what would be considered as aggression versus mm-hmm. preparation. Mm-hmm. And if you could speak on that, because I know that's something that you kind of empower the youth with. 
yeah. in, the, in the DMV area. So I heard a martial artist say, like, I teach my kids self-defense because I want their no to contain more than just hope. Mm. So, like, if my if our students say something to someone and we're just going to base it on that they have a good character and they're not going to continue forward, right. I don't like that idea. I really stress the idea of moving from a victim mentality to a victorious mind mentality. That's right. And that's difficult because even from the way history— victim to victor. Yes, sir. Yeah, yeah. And even the way we taught history oftentimes, we taught the victim mode of history, like that we suffered and we suffered and, you know, we turned the other cheek and all of that. That, that was one part of the story. Mm. But, like, even if you look at the civil rights movement, there's a whole bunch of books— we will shoot back by Akinelli Umoja. That nonviolent stuff will get you killed. Wow. Um, the Negro and the gun. It's a whole different perspective on what really fortified black communities was these black people who stood up and were strong and had these morals and values. And they were warriors, man. They, they, they knew hand fighting. You know, we had uh, knocking and kicking is one of the old styles that come over from Africa that mm -hmm. are here. But, man, like my grandfather, he, like, he boxed in yeah. Philly. He boxed in New York, man. Right. And these were the old school cats, man. They, they knew how to throw down, man. They were defending their families. They were with their families, and they were strong, man. Mm. And I know you're wearing your grandfather on your chest. Yeah, man. Yo, showing, showing it. Yo, he, he told me a lot of brilliant information. Yeah. He's been married for 58. He was married 58 years. Still wow. alive, 91. Wow. He told me. Um, Salute to him. Yeah, man. He told yeah. me the secret. I'm going to give everybody the yeah, secret. Yeah, I'm going to say, tell me the secret. The secret to a What's long, long marriage is this. He said, first of all, make sure you run everything. And in my house, I run everything. I run the dishwasher. <laughs> I run the vacuum cleaner. Right. I run the washing machine. <laughs> and the second thing he said is right. make sure um, you always have the last word. So I always have the last word, which is yes, dear. And uh, hey, I've been working, facts man. only. Seven years married. You was there, man. Best day yeah, yeah, of my life. Yeah, I was there, man. I was there, man. So that's the advice he gives nice. me. Nice. Yeah. Now, and again, I know a lot of this. And, and you got to understand something. We're getting exclusive right now. This man does not really do interviews um, unless it's kind of for the culture and the diehards of the culture for real. And that's something I respect as well because he understands some of y'all is agents with your bitch ass. Mm -hmm. But at the end of the day, there's a certain level of um, – fortitude you're trying to instill in the youth and I know you've started first in the DC Maryland Virginia area absolutely but as much as you could give us without being you know given too much mm -hmm. talk about just the way you've been instilling this in certain like African-centered education schools and other places where mm -hmm. you can kind of really flex this warrior mentality into these children without bureaucracy coming down on you crazy exactly because I know that's that's the that's the challenge right it is it is all yeah. day. the um I Became a teacher largely because I've hated school. So I identified the things that I hated in school, but also things I liked. And then I've tried to implement more of what I like in school. Um, one of the things, I teach a class called Knowledge of Self and Environment. Uh, that's my primary class. That's a way of like saying history and social studies. Sure. Um, the second class I teach is called um, Media Literacy. And that's teaching young children. I got five-year-olds up to 15-year-olds. Mm. And I teach these children how to identify all of these images that are coming at them, right. how to know the history behind the media and what the media's intents could be. Right. Um, but the other class in the afternoon that I teach is one of my favorites. It's called African Combat Sciences. Nice. And we do look at MMA. We look at the history of boxing. It's more so practice because we have mats. We get on the mats, man. We work on our stand-up game. We work on our ground game. Right. Lots and we're of talking boys and girls. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Because I'm a firm believer, man, if you look at the stats, man, over 65,000 black women missing. Um, Jet Magazine had an article that said 100,000 black children were missing in one year. Man. So I, I remember when there was that big crisis in D.C. when yeah. they had like all the girls missing. Exactly. It was getting nuts. Exactly. So our people must train, man. They, yeah. You know, and I, the, th the mantra we have is we don't complain, we train. And, right. And it's the idea, I teach the kids how to get out of risk control. Mm. What do you do if, we go over lots of scenarios. If a person comes to you and says, you know, they yell in the store and say, I'm your parent, why you can't have that? And they're trying to drag them out of a store. I give them all types of things that they can say to avoid getting into the conflict and get out of that conflict. 
Um, nice. So, man, and I love I love all of our children, man. They deserve so much better in terms of education, man. For parents like myself out there, because you know I told you I'm bringing my eight year old son to you. Um, how do how do they get in contact with you for this? Because I mean, this is not something that's readily understood or available. And there might be parents like me who might be frustrated with the way tradition is or the way society has created these systematic formats and want something um, untraditional in the sense of popular society, but more African-based, um, especially in relation to like having that 360-level mentality you're creating for these kids. Mm-hmm. How do they get you? How do they find this? How do they, you know what I mean? So one of the things I learned from studying history was um, one of our great leaders, Ella Baker, mm-hmm. said we don't need strong leaders, we need strong people. Yes. And um, we know that, like what you were just saying, uh, the operation that was waged against our people, one of the things was to chop the head of the snake off and the snake dies. Mm-hmm. That's why they assassinated Malcolm. That's why they assassinated Fred Hampton. That's why Big they facts. So what I want to do now is make it so that people are empowered so there is no more head of a snake, right? There's a great right. book called um, The Spider and the Starfish. And it says our organizations need to be more like starfishes. Mm. If you chop up a starfish, it'll create, like you chop it up nine times, you're going to nine more starfish. Right. So we need to be almost like leaderless organizing and move away. And I, I can't say this enough, but we have to move away from charismatic leaders. Got it. The ones who can speak the it's best. It's intoxicating. Are not the best yeah. organizers, man. That's real. You know, the ones who are the most entertaining, make you feel good while you sit in the seat, that doesn't mean that they know the best to do for our people and advance our people. Real talk. So I mean, I would give some names, like there's people who do great curriculum. Mm-hmm. Um, Samori Camera is a brother I, I highly recommend. He does a lot of his, um, Kamali Academy. Um, Chika Akua is another brother I would highly recommend. He does mm-hmm. a lot of work. He has curriculum. and But the real key thing that I would love for our people to do is start study groups. Yeah, start yeah. homeschool collectives where you come right. together with other like-minded parents right. and then start to educate your children together. Right. And if you do that, it'll be like one of our great mass movements. Like the Great Migration, that was like a family movement. We right. need more family movements. It can't. It, we're past the time of like, you know, nice Clothing, like we got that yeah, with that's the a fact. leather coats and the, yeah, yeah, the hats, yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, peacocking, yeah, man, yeah, the, yeah, the, yeah. the dashikis, all of that. You right. know, it's cool, but that's symbolic. We need more actual substance, and yes. we need our people to have. Most important thing would be good character, man. Mm. Because yo, when you when you put somebody with your child, mm-hmm. whatever character they have is what they're gonna start to develop. I want to, I mean, as a parent, I gotta ask you because I go through this sometimes, like with, with, with my kid's mom. Do you, do you ever have parents that are like more or less come to this situation very nervous that their kid is going to either become a bully or mm-hmm. take what you're teaching them and use it nefariously in a school environment? Or do you come with, I mean, I mean encounter parents that are more like the trust is so um, much there with you that they know like this kid is in great hands and they don't really mm-hmm. worry about that component of the kid's personality change? Yeah, the answer to that is all the time. Yeah. Um, you know, it's a lot of like mommies want to protect their boys and, you know, it's a lot of to the idea well, we'll never get into this type of fight. We're not getting, and we do a lot of rationalization on uh, why it's not necessary. But the truth of the matter is, man, if you do the studies, man, people who, kids who train in boxing, are like, are, they fight less. Um, I know when I did wrestling, I was exhausted, man. We were all exhausted. So people didn't. We didn't fight, and people didn't want to fight us because they were right. seeing what we were doing in the in the ring or in the mat, and they were like, "Yo, forget that! I don't want no parts of that." Right. So it was a deterrent, man. It's almost like bullyproofing the kids. Mm-hmm. Um, when a when a child knows that they can handle themselves, they're more likely to talk their way out of it. And there's a True. series of things I give them. Uh, it's like there was a book called Verbal Judo, but it's a ver- series of things that I give them to avoid fights at all costs. That's good. Um, there's a book uh, called Preparedness Now that people should read by Aton Edwards. Okay. But in the beginning chapter, it starts off about a boy who's on New York trains, and he gets on the train, and um, as soon as he gets on, he's listening to this group of kids mm-hmm. who are talking, and he hears one of the names is Alfred or whatever, and all of a sudden they turn and look at him, just like we were getting mm-hmm. scouted on the train. 
And uh, they're like, yo, man, yo, let me get that coat. And before he can finish saying coat, he's like, Alfred, is that you? How's your mother doing, man? Right, She's right. still good? Everything's all right with it? And his boys start looking at him, and they're like, you know this dude? And before they can finish, he ran off the train. So it's like the one of the greatest things I learned in martial arts, too, is situational awareness. Sure. You know, identifying. I have my students do this, memorize the names of all the adults in here. You know, memorize the cars that they drive. Um, even when for the high levels, man, I'm like, identify how far you think this person can run. Right. How, how much do you think this person weighs? What, what knee is, looks a little bit like they're struggling with? And all mm -hmm. those different. Just, And it's not to be scared, but mm -hmm. it's to be prepared, right? Right. right? It's better to have a skill and not need it than need it and not have it. Mm. So I think all of our children to be, need to be trained, especially our girls who go to college. Big time. Because, I mean, rape is, is yeah, a The blue light issue. system is not enough, clearly. Mm -hmm. I mean, rape is real. Yeah, man. It's predatory. Practices yeah. out here and and jujitsu when they get in between their legs and I find like sometimes if a woman tries to hit a man the man gonna hit back with this intense power yeah. he's gonna try and overdo it especially if he feels like he's been embarrassed and hit by this woman right. but with jujitsu man she could sleep sneak her hands in there man she could yeah. zip he choke sleep. him yeah man she <laughs> right. could, yeah. she could you know right. she could do so many different size doesn't matter mm -mm. right so uh, I think and and you know triangle choke him if he's in between the legs mm. I think all of these are vital skills and I think that we need to stop being afraid of these um, particularly in our communities. Yeah. Yeah, big time, and big we need time. to practice them. And even with wrestling, like I'm at African-centered schools, a lot mm -hmm. of times they're like, well, I don't know, that, that wrestling stuff is not, that's mm -hmm. not African-centered. And you're like, this is what I have to go through right. and show you the history. It's like we've been uh, Senegal, why don't you? Yeah, man. I can go through it. I mean, right, right, we got right. a whole bunch of them, man. Kawagunda and right. Kawagundi and uh, Tanzania. These uh, are all wrestling styles. Yeah, yeah Ebenebe yeah, yeah. and uh, Nigeria, uh, Kokowa, Nigeria. Mani, Mani is awesome, man. Mani is, um, Mani comes out of Cuba. Okay. But before that, it was in Africa. And one of my favorite people I ever learned about, his name is Antonio Marcel. Mm. You know, everybody knows about Yoel Romero, but, of course. you know, Antonio Marcel fought in and nine... For those who don't, MMA fighter, UFC. Yeah, man. Yeah. And he fought... Antonio Marcel fought in 900 battles. Wow. He was shot over 24 times, man. Dang. And he was so vicious that they sent in a, a Dominican um, man by the name of Gomez to be head of the military mm -hmm. so that he would not turn into another Jean-Jacques Dessalines. Because mm -hmm. everywhere Antonio Marcel went, he freed the Africans that were enslaved. Yeah, for those who don't know, Dessalines, Haiti. Yo, Haiti. Studied the Haitian Revolution. Shout out, man. Yeah. It was huge. But um, this dude... Gomez would actually stop giving him bullets because this is a 10-year war where Cuba's fighting against Spain. Mm -hmm. It would stop giving him bullets because he was so successful. Right. And because of this, the martial art of Mani, he, he knew how to use the machete. Mm -hmm. And he gave his men machete, trained them. They went to battle with the machetes, and he's still victorious, man. Wow. So it's like, how do our children not know about the stories of them, Tutmosis III or Shaka Zulu, Hannibal Barker? They don't learn about these great warrior traditions, man. We learn, though, about what? Napoleon. Napoleon. We learn about Alexander the, the Great or right. Macedonia. We learn about, um, you know, all these different European fighters. Even Asians, they'll give you those, right? So of course. Sun Tzu, I love that book. I, you know, got Art 40 different copies of the joint. Right, right. And it's got brilliant information. Miyamoto Masashi with the Book of Five Rings. I've read all of those. Mm -hmm. um, one of my favorites is General Zap. He's coming out of um, uh, Vietnam. Okay. I mean, this dude defeated uh, the French. He defeated the um, America, the um, Chinese. He defeated Cambodia. Right. And he died at the age of 103. Now, mm -hmm. they would we're supposed to not look at that, not right. study that and say, oh, no, that the Vietnamese, that's not good. Um, the war over there, that Vietnam War, is not good. Right. And it's, they act like it's disrespect to the war, the soldiers. But it's not the case. We should study everything and anything. Absolutely. And my passion for learning transmits over to the children. Man. No, big facts. I, and just to tie a bow on the Howard University component, um, I know when you came to Howard, you wanted to wrestle, but it did, but you didn't. Yeah. But just talk about 
at Howard University, where, you know, I know the wrestling program was good, but did you feel like the respect level in relation to the athleticism was the same as if it was in a white school for wrestlers like it would be for football or basketball? No, no. Why do you think that is? Why do you think that even in our community we don't value that when, to me, that's always a place where you can get a scholarship, especially um, because the competition level is so high in football and basketball. Yeah. And the thing is crazy that for most wrestlers, these, I, I've seen when I was out in Iowa, these guys are starting three, four years old. Right. Black guys ain't starting that young, man. Right. They come in and they dominating this thing. Like, immediately. Yeah. yeah. And, and, you know, and the piece I don't like, too, I think, which is racial, is that oftentimes with black people, they're like, oh, you know, he's so athletic or he's yeah. so physical. Turns into an animal, almost yeah. like your yeah. specimen. The yeah. brute, man, like right, that type right. of image. But, I mean, we're talking about people who are highly intelligent, man. Right. These guys, their fight IQs is the term they yeah, use. They're strategists. I mean, it's like chess. Exactly, So if you can man. figure it out fast. Exactly. And, and use physicality. Yeah, man. Yeah, you know and that's, I love the psychology of the fight game, man. That's what mm. really intrigues me, too, man. When I, I talk to a lot of these um, professional MMA fighters, and they tell me how they matured into mixed martial arts through the wrestling game. And one thing I know that they say is that they basically feel alone. Um, and I, and I kind of wanted to speak to that because you being someone that had a passion for that, still does, has a passion for that, do you ever feel like you're isolated as a person with all this love for various combats that aren't traditional within um, communities of color? Yeah. Or do you feel like you have a good support base of guys like yourself? Well, I, you have to build whatever you want, man, right? So, mm-hmm. man, I have brothers that I've introduced to the grappling, submission grappling, Brazilian jiu-jitsu, and they love it, man. And the thing is... Um, these guys that started with wrestling, or they just no, out the blue? No, and you we, put them most on? of us started with traditional, like, Japanese jiu-jitsu. Okay, okay. Um, and we started with karate, and um, they were cool with the stand-up game, man. It was like, you know, and they'd say, I hear them say stuff and back in the day, it'd be like, yo, I'm never going to go to the ground, you know? And, right, you right, know, right. You, you hear all of this type Shout out to Dorian Price. Yeah. <laughs> you like, I'm not messing with that ground. Yeah, but yo, yeah. the um, but it ends up what happens is when they go there and we start doing this, it's, it's therapeutic, man. Right. I mean, we've had this conversation before. Yeah, it's yeah, like, first. when you get on that mat, man, you can't think about nothing except right. this dude trying to choke you or break your arms and limbs, man. Right. So the bills, everything, man, it's just, it's extra therapeutic. It's hard to explain. Yeah, yeah. But it's this euphoric feeling. One of my favorite things is after a really hard day, like yesterday, man, was sweating like crazy, oh, and just sitting up against the wall and being like, "Yo, I did this." Same with running, man. Right. You know, people run, running. And it used to be torture to me, man. But when you finish, the best part is like you're like, "I did that." Man. Yeah, I wanna, I wanna, I wanna, you know, as we close out, talk about the deeper impact of what it is that you've been studying, the information you give, and the commitment. Because even though, like, me and you talk about fight stuff all the time, just popular fights, who we think is going to win, but when you really get into the details and the evolution that you found and show where, where cats are today, how a John Jones could be a John Jones and others, what do you hope people take away from learning and getting knowledge itself in relation to where combat sports originated from, from Africa and, and, um, and those combat styles and just warrior spirit and mentality? So with the fighters and all the people that you talk to that I really like, I wish that they would fight for a cause and not just an applause, right? Mm-hmm. I um, I look at how these little kids come and look at these celebrities, but particularly something about fighters, man. Like to be the toughest, baddest yeah. man right. in the room, right. like be a Deontay Wilder or an Anthony Joshua, these guys are huge. And They're the huge. fact that... You know, he's got an Africa on his shoulder. And, right. Or, you know, the fact that they're shouting out that we've been going through this for 400 years, right. you know, to this day. And, and and the fact that Deontay Wilder says he challenges Nigerian warriors uh, or an ancestor, that all of that, the kids can hear that. Right. Particularly from them and be like, I want to be strong like that. Right. Now, the only 
concern I have, though, is, right, like, so the media will focus on the, the, the term the buck, you know, where they try to mold these guys into these brutes or bucks. Buck was a character on the plantation that the slave monster, I say monster because we don't say master, but they Friends. used <laughs> to um, make as many babies as possible. Yeah. And if we look at the origins of boxing, I'm trying to find more information on this, but you can find it on your own as, as the listeners, is you had Mandingo fighting, right. which you can look and you can see on Django. They yeah, Django, Candyland. Yeah, yeah, man. And there's even a movie called Mandingo. And it's these fighters where they actually took these Africans from Africa and made them these strong men and fight each other, mm. beat each other bloody on for the slave monsters, uh, you know, satisfaction. They wow. also have battle royales. They take out little little, little kids, even girls, wrap their, their heads in blindfolds and make them fight each other in bloody. And that was the entertainment. But the buck, the buck was supposed to pride himself on what? How many women he could sleep with? He was supposed to pride himself on the fact that he could, you know, do what the slave monster did. He might be able to ride the the, the horse and buggy for him. Right. And that he could have the material things that the slave monster had. Mm. And, of course, the slave monster was supposed to be afraid of him getting with Missy Ann. You know, and this comes, you could read a book called Bogle uh, Stereotypes. He talks about the mammies, the coons, the tragic mulattoes. Um, and Bucks and uh, Uncle Tom's. But, yo, I don't want our brothers to fit into the characteristics of any one of these. I don't want us to fulfill stereotypes. Um, I want us to be who we really are um, and not, you know, what the media wants us to be. That's why I appreciate you so much, man, because you show that these fighters are intelligent, man. You show that these brothers who might have come from some of the roughest conditions still care about their people. And that's why, man, you know, if I was a big-time fighter, I'd be with you all the time, man. Oh, good looking. Because you... You definitely make people look and feel good, man. You make you, like you bring out who they really are, and not the whole, you know, the whole stereotypical stuff we see. Yeah, you know, using his term, we keep it black magnificent and blacktastic yeah, all day, day. Um, yeah, man. Because one thing I, I, I get really frustrated with, and you know, obviously I used to work for the UFC and these other organizations, is they don't even ask us how we want to be marketed. Mm-hmm. They literally either focus on a, one skill set that the guy does well. Um, and just kind of harp on that in relation to like how fast he can finish somebody or something, mm-hmm. or there's literally nothing because they don't understand. But I, but I find it interesting that when a Tyron Woodley, former UFC welterweight champion, says something about this, the entire base yeah. of fans starts saying that he's in essence using a race card or, yeah. and it and I think that creates fear, right? Yeah. It creates fear because for these guys, even though it's about athleticism, it's about paying bills mm-hmm. and getting a check and being able to do what you love in the process. Um, you know, obviously I was a part of a company called Shine Fight Promotions, the first ever black MMA-owned promotion. And it was hard for us. Mm-hmm. You know, we we saw on the message boards and the fans were calling us. They said we were doing reverse racism, calling ourselves Shines and all that, as if mm-hmm. the word get your shine wasn't mm-hmm. unpopular at the time. But it's one of those things where do you, you know, I'm, I'm always curious. As MMA becomes, I mean, it is pop culture, but as it becomes more pervasive mm-hmm. in communities of color. Like I had a guy here not too long ago, Lamar Clark from Ring TV and DAZN, who said his kids don't even like boxing, they like MMA. Mm-hmm. And this is a man of color. And I think when you have these kids like my age and my, my kids' age and others that are growing up with MMA first, boxing second, mm-hmm. do you think that the game will double down and start realizing that it has to diversify the way they push the imagery and the narratives out? I mean, these images are going back to the early 1900s, man. So this is they, deeper than, this is way yeah, deeper man. than They've been pushing this for a while. Selling some tickets, yeah. Yeah, and yeah. A, largely a lot of entertainment. Our misery is other people's entertainment. We have to think facts. about that. And, facts, And it's funny you say, people say you're playing a race card, and I'd be like, that's the only card you gave me in a deck. <laughs> right. I mean, you know, it's fixed over here. And right. you hear a lot, like Malcolm X, man, was one of my heroes, reading the autobiography yeah. of Malcolm X changed, changed big, my life. 
But he said in there, like, they asked him, yo, don't you think America's making progress and this, that, and the other? And he said, you don't stab a man in the back 11 inches and then pull it out 9 inches and say that's progress. They say even after the knife is removed, there's still a scar of remembrance. Where are we now? We're in a part, mm. period of time where they, wanted, they don't even want to acknowledge that the knife exists. Right. right. So that's what happens if a black man like Tyrone Willie, anybody says anything about racism, they turn and say as if he's the problem. They don't want to fix what the real problem is. They want to fix the person who's saying something. And mm. that's horrible, man. We saw that with Kaepernick, man. We see that. Oh, yeah. I mean, the. the, the that's why, like, the Kaepernick thing makes me happy because yeah. at least he took it. He took him to the bank. He made them yeah. pay him his ass. Yeah, man. He was like, oh, OK, we're going to yeah. play these games. Yeah. Cash out. Yeah, and, that, <laughs> and it makes me yeah. appreciate and you, both yeah. of us, Muhammad Ali, even. Oh my God! And we realized he took the ultimate sacrifice, yeah, for real, man. yeah, because he didn't know if he could come back. That's right. I mean, he basically was like, "Look, if I, if I'm done, I'm done." Yeah. Which Kaepernick said too. Yeah. If I'm done, and I always yeah. told people, Kaepernick, regardless of the fact that he got that check from um, the NFL, I always said, when in long term, he's going to be re- remembered as Ali. Mm-hmm. Ali esque, I put it like yeah, that. Nobody's yeah. gonna be Ali, yeah. but Ali esque based on that um, willingness to sacrifice, yeah. which was crazy. Yeah. And people forget that Malcolm X was better, he was close friends with Muhammad Ali. In Big fact, time, he yeah. allowed Muhammad Ali to come to his house in Queens right. when he wasn't allowing anybody else. And Muhammad Ali, you know, used to do magic right. tricks, so the kids loved him. I and, mean, I, and Ali, I said multiple times, the worst decision he made was distancing himself from exactly, Malcolm X. Exactly. Based on Elijah Muhammad's politics. Exactly, yeah. man. And and you look at when I watch some of the Ali stuff, the stuff I'm watching also is when he saved that man's life on the building. Um I love oh, when he Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean that was yeah. awesome, man. The first thing he said They don't the talk brother, about that a lot. Oh man. He talked that man down. First thing he said on the ledge was I love you, my you're my brother. Right. Like who talks like that anymore, man? And he right. got the dude to come down here, been serving in Vietnam. He felt like he wanted to kill himself. Right. Another thing I love is if you ever watched the one that did the candid camera where he dresses up as a custodian and he, oh, yeah. he's cleaning off the board. Right. And the kids are reading these essays. If I ever met Muhammad Ali, and then all of a sudden he's <laughs> bouncing around in front of him. Man, I love that because even yeah. I had when I had you come speak to my children, you see right. the students, you see how they light up. I had over sixty presenters in two years come to the students. Mm. They have to travel places. This right. is African provinces. Knowledge comes to one who travels, not to one who sits. I think sitting in these walls is destroying our children. Absolutely. But then um, also they have to meet people that they can try to aspire to be like. And it can't just be ancient history here. It's got to be like, no, when I get old, I want to be like Rhett. I want to do stuff like he does. So, I mean, greatly appreciate that, man. All day. Man, Man, let these people know. And I know, and I know... This man, he's not really filling your agents on the social media, but if they if they need to find you on some level, can they? Uh, listen to the show. <laughs> <laughs> Keep supporting my man, Red. And that's what I love about this, because he's not giving a fuck about your ass unless you're worthy. Yeah. And that's how we do it, man. Yeah. Not everything's supposed to be said because it's already understood, baby. Yeah. Ooh, we polarizing combat content for your ass. And this is the Pretty Left Hook, and I just hit you in your goddamn liver. Ah! Got him. Rate, comment, subscribe, and like Pretty Left Hook on SoundCloud and iTunes.